Uh, so good to be worshiping with all of you today outside. So good to see uh, the faces of so many people who have been a part of what God has been up to around here for a long time. I'm so grateful for you and, and the role that you play in, in what God is doing here. And one of the things that's kind of amazing to me, we've been doing this outdoor service for over two months now. And every Saturday night when we gather, I am introduced to somebody who is checking out Hope for the first time. And so if that's you, if, if this is your first time here, we are so glad that you're here. Welcome to Hope. Uh, one of the things that I said back in June at our first outdoor service, I wanted to make fun of myself a little bit because I've always said I'm what you call indoorsy, and so I wasn't super excited that we're doing an outdoor worship service. I don't particularly like being outside. I don't like inclement weather if it's too hot or too cold or if there's precipitation of, of any kind. I just want to be inside. I don't like bugs and insects and other predators that might be trying to hurt me. But I do, like a, I do like a really good paradox. And so while I am indoorsy, I love to watch people do things outside. And so I've been binge watching a show this summer on the History Channel. It's a show called Alone. And what they do in this show, uh, I think I'm on uh, the seventh season now. Each season of Alone, they take 10 people and they drop them off in just this remote area in the middle of nowhere. So Mongolia or Patagonia or somewhere up in the Arctic Circle. And if they can survive, they have like 10 items that they get to have with them and they have to just kind of figure out how to survive. Whoever survives the longest gets $500,000. And so they have to come up with, you know, their own source of food. They have to uh, build a shelter. They have to be able to build fire. And it's just kind of crazy to watch what they have to endure. Uh, season seven, which I'm watching right now, is called the Million Dollar Challenge. Most of the time, the winners survive somewhere out there for, I don't know, 50 days, 80 days, somewhere in that range. So you know, almost two months or almost three months. The Million Dollar Challenge is if anyone can make it for over 100 days, and then the last person uh, that's still out there, they'll get a million dollars. And so it's fascinating to watch. Uh, they drop them off in the Arctic Circle sometime in late September. And so as you can imagine, if they're going to be out there for over 100 days, they're going to have some really cold days. And so shelter is really important. And most of the time when they build their shelter, they'll cut down trees. They'll make sort of this makeshift log cabin, more like a log room, that sort of thing. But on this season, uh, the Million Dollar Challenge, there's a contestant by the name of Roland. And he found a whole bunch of stones and rocks in this area where he had been dropped off. And so he built, he calls it a rock house. He built the walls out of the rock and out of the stone. And so as you can imagine, this is going to be much more stable in the midst of, I don't know, a storm in the middle of winter. I'm only about halfway through, so I'm not sure, you know, who wins. I'll let you know. I, I know you're all dying to know who, who's going to win episodes uh, season seven of, of Alone. But, you know, he can, inside of that rock house... He can build a fire and not worry, is it going to burn down his shelter? He can be comfortable and cozy and warm in the middle of whatever the Arctic temperatures might be. This is the rock house. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 27. And I just want to read for you the way Psalm 27 begins. And, and you might want to just let this kind of soak into your spirit as you listen to these words. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? 
When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. I think one of the, one of the blessings of a life of faith is a life of faith allows us to keep it real. There's a real temptation, a real danger to sort of pretend our way through life. Everything's good. Everything's fine. Nothing to see here. We're just going to keep pressing forward. But when Jesus enters our life, Jesus has a way of making us come kind of face to face with those realities in our life, especially, I think, those realities of our life that are not good. I don't need a show of hand or anything, but anybody find that there's a lot of, you know, maybe new fears you find yourself facing these days? Anybody feel like it, maybe it's a little more dangerous these days than it's ever felt in our life? And boy, we could really use some protection. Anybody watch the news and, and it just seems like evil is popping up in all sorts of ways. Evil is on the move and evil in some ways is trying to devour us. Now, last week here at worship, we talked about reputation. And how hard, how much energy we work building our reputation, maintaining our reputation. Anybody feel like their reputation is under attack? I'm from Generation X, and uh, Generation X, we're like depressing people. And so one of the catchphrases or slogans of Generation X, they made a movie by this title, uh, Reality Bites. Reality bites. And I think a lot of us, if we were to be honest about the reality that we find ourselves living through uh, during this particular season, I think a lot of us would say reality bites. But it's not just my generation or it's not just this generation trying to figure out how to do life in the year 2020. Every generation, you cannot make it through your own generation without life kind of bumping into you in a way where you have to make your way through the biting realities of life. And I think that's one of the reasons why David can write Psalm 27 3,000 years ago, and it can still resonate so deeply with us today. King David's reality isn't a whole lot different from our reality and as he keeps on writing in Psalm 27, part of what we discover is, given his reality, here's what King David wants. I'll start in verse 4. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. When reality bites for David, he wants to go to the house of the Lord. When reality bites for David, he wants to hide in the Lord's sanctuary. That rock house that Roland is building in Alone, season seven, in a lot of ways, it's a sanctuary. A sanctuary is a place of safety a place of security, a place where you receive comfort. And Roland's Rock House provides all those things. The one other thing that would be necessary in order for that space to be a sanctuary, God would need to be present. Sanctuary from the Latin sanctus, which means holy. Holy. And all throughout the Old Testament, 
this idea of sanctuary gets pictured for us in all sorts of ways. I mean, David uses the term temple, but let's remember David is not the one who actually built the temple. He had the dream of the temple, this house of God. But for David's life, he had to find sanctuary somewhere other than the temple. And so sometimes literally the place people find sanctuary is uh, this shelter underneath a rock or in a cave. King David finds himself uh, taking shelter in those kinds of places. Uh, there's when Moses gets the commandments, here's how God commands his people to live together as the people of God. The commandments, the, the law of Moses makes provision for something called sanctuary cities, cities of refuge. Uh, you can read about it in Numbers chapter 35 or Joshua chapter 21. Places where people can flee, where they can run, where they know they will be safe and they will be secure. Uh, when they build the temple, when Solomon builds the temple, the architecture of the temple includes provision for, we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. It's going to end up in this place called the Holy of Holies. But there are two cherubim, two angels with their wings spread and they're sort of covering or sheltering the Ark in the Holy of Holies. And we see that the Holy of Holies, the Sanctus of Sanctus, right? It's the sanctuary. And we see this idea throughout the Old Testament as well as I'm going to hide, I'm going to take my refuge in the shadow of God's wings, in the shadow of the Almighty. And that gets us to our Bible reading uh, from Luke chapter 13. Let's see if I can open up to it. Ah, oh, there it is. Jesus says this, Luke 13, 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Now, this is Luke chapter 13, so it's kind of right in the middle of Luke's gospel, Luke's account of the life of Jesus. He doesn't tell us when in the three years of Jesus' public ministry this is happening, but Matthew makes it very clear it's happening during Holy Week. In Matthew's account, this is happening after Palm Sunday and before Jesus is killed. So at the end of his life, as he's getting ready to face his death, Jesus is on a hill overlooking Jerusalem, and he sighs. He sighs. He's filled with grief and compassion and regret and desire as he says to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her cheek chicks beneath her wings. I have longed for, I have desired to be your sanctuary, Jesus says. And as you look at the way the story begins in verse 31, you see this playing out even more clearly. At that time, some Pharisees said to Jesus, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. And Jesus replied, go tell that fox, I'll keep on casting out demons and healing people today, tomorrow, and the third day I will accomplish my purpose. Jesus is like, I'm going to protect people. I'm going to shelter people. I want to make sure they know I'm a place of safety. I'm a place of healing. I'm a place of hope. I'm going to keep on doing this stuff, and I'm going to keep on saying this stuff until I've accomplished my purpose. I'm here to be their rock of safety. I'm here to be their sanctuary, Jesus says. At the beginning of the message, I said I, I like a good paradox. I'm indoor, indoorsy, but I like to watch people doing things outdoors. The paradox that I really want us to dig into today, and, and I hope you'll think about this for a while and, and come back to it on a pretty regular basis in your life of faith, there's this paradox. What does it actually mean that Jesus is the rock? 
He's a sanctuary. He's a rock of safety. Yes, absolutely. But the Bible also talks about Jesus being another kind of rock. And Isaiah chapter 8 is one of the places where we see this. I'll start in verse 11. The Lord has given me a strong warning, not to think like everyone else does. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Uh, Let's stop there for a second. This is the word of the Lord, church. Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Does it feel like we're living through conspiracy heaven these days? Or maybe conspiracy hell is probably a a more accurate term. I can't tell you how many conspiracy theories I've heard over the last six months on a whole variety of things. The wisdom of God's word for us is not to believe all of these conspiracies. Don't call everything conspiracies. Don't live in dread of what frightens most people. Instead, God continues, make the Lord of heaven's army holy in your life. When when we're focused in on conspiracies and, and they seem to be coming from all sorts of directions, it can cause us to want to hide and to want to take shelter. And I'm just going to kind of ride out the storm here and keep my fingers crossed and hope everything turns out okay. But God says, no, 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 there's a better way. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. And then verse 14 says, he will keep you safe. But to Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. Verse 14 of Isaiah 8 is where we see this interesting paradox. He will keep you safe, verse 14 says. God will keep you safe. The Lord will keep you safe. Want to take a guess what the Hebrew word behind that word safe is? Sanctuary. It's the Hebrew word that's most often used for sanctuary. And so a lot of English translations, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but a lot of English translations will say, God will be your sanctuary. God will be your rock of safety. And in the same verse, at the same time, he will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. Both at the same time. This is 700 years, Isaiah, before Jesus Uh, Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, Jesus gives him the name the rock, right? That's what Peter means. Peter writes about this paradox of uh, what does it mean that Jesus is our rock in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, but now he's become the cornerstone. And just a couple verses later, Peter quotes Isaiah 8.14. And he says Jesus is the stone that makes you stumble. He's the rock that makes you fall. So, The paradox is that God functions as as both of these realities in our life. He's our sanctuary, our rock of safety, and he's the stone that makes us stumble. But what in the world does that even mean? What are we supposed to do with that? Several years ago now, my wife, Wendy, introduced me to a book called The New Rules of Marriage, and Terry Reel is the author of that book. He's a, a marriage and a family counselor, therapist. In the book, he teaches through something he calls the relational grid. And for our purposes tonight, what I want you to understand, he says we can approach every relationship in our life from a one-up position or a one-down position, 
But he says the best way to approach a relationship is from a position of being same as. So one up would be sort of arrogant, uh, filled with pride, thinking you're better than everyone else, kind of bullying people, belittling people, kind of this one up kind of place. A one down place, think of Eeyore in uh, Winnie the Pooh, kind of woe is me, and this victim mentality is what it means to kind of live your life and engage relationally from a one-down place, a place of sort of inner shame. But what Terry Reels ends up saying in the book is, you cannot love from a one-up position. You cannot love from a one-down position. You can only love from a position of same as, which is very biblical. And Paul in Ephesians, as he's talking about who Jesus is, you got to have the same attitude, the same mindset of Jesus who did not consider equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he humbled himself and was born as a human being. He became one of us, same as, in order to demonstrate his great love for us. And if you look in Philippians 2, verse 2, as he's writing to the church in Philippi, Paul says this, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Same as, one mind, one purpose. And, and so I, I think where the sanctuary and stumbling block connects to the one up and one down, I would put it this way. Uh, Jesus is a stumbling block to those who are one up, and he's a sanctuary to those who are one down. And he's at work constantly trying to help us become a, a people with one mind and one purpose. In Luke 13, Jesus is upset with King Herod, who is this classic sort of narcissist, right? One-up position, thinking he's better than everyone else. And, and maybe a, a better way to talk about the one-upsmanship of King Herod is everything Jesus does and says challenges the way Herod is living his life. And so Herod doesn't like that. And so as a result, he doesn't like Jesus. Jesus is a stumbling block to Herod because Herod doesn't want to change. Now, what does it mean for you and me? We're, we're trying to follow after Jesus. We're trying to grow more and more in Christ-likeness all the time. Change is going to come as we follow after Jesus. And part of what that means is we never arrive, we never graduate from Christianity, but we're always going to come up with, I don't know, these ideas of Jesus, these act, the activity of Jesus that challenges us in some way as he's trying to change us. Another way to think about it, if we had the time and if it was safe to just find three or four people around you and start sharing your stories, how is it that you ended up here this moment in time? Uh, what has the role of God, the role of faith been in your life up to this point? I think one of the things we would discover, we would all say when we look back with hindsight, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We would say the times in our life where we've grown the most, where we've changed the most, has been through seasons of hardship and difficulty and suffering. That's just the way it works for the vast majority of us. At some point in our lives, reality bites. Something enters our life. It could be an event like a, a global pandemic. It could be a relationship like a marriage or a parent-child relationship or somebody that you work with. It could be a friendship. Uh, something enters your life. It could be a tragedy, the death of someone you love. It could be an idea that is just a, a challenge to you to try to figure out what am I supposed to do with this. And, and there are times in our lives when these things enter our lives and we realize I do not have what it takes. 
I do not have the resources. I do not have the skills to be able to face this. And that's when we start to stumble over a necessary stumbling stone. A necessary stumbling stone. It's necessary in our life. Stumbling is necessary in our life. This is how we grow. And one of our values at Hope is following Jesus is a growing experience. We have to learn how to lose. And we live in a part of the world that doesn't like losing. We have to learn how to lose because Jesus says, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. We have to develop the art of losing. This is necessary to stumble and to fall and to get out of the driver's seat and to allow God to actually be in control. Because you and I, if we are honest, we know this is really the way life works. I have a plan for life. I have a strategy for my life. It may not be written out anywhere. It may not be clearly articulated anywhere. But the way I live and the way I relate, it follows this plan, this strategy that I have. And every single one of us will keep on following that plan and following that strategy until it stops working for us. I think it was the great theologian Mike Tyson who said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right? Think about great coaches in, in the sporting world. Some of the best coaches are the ones who can make halftime adjustments. I started the game with a plan and a strategy and approach, and now I have to readjust things or it's not going to work anymore. And the same is true in life. You can't have the same game plan, the same strategy in terms of relating to one another all of your life. It may work for a while, it may work for a season, and then you need to adjust your game plan. And the stumbling stone that Jesus is in our life is a way of helping us do that. That's no longer working. I've stumbled, I've fallen, and now I'm going to go a different way. I'm going to try a new way. I like the way Julian of Norwich talks about this. You all love Julian of Norwich, right? Um, she's this woman in church history who has an incredible relationship with God. And they, they like talk to each other in ways that you and I can't even fathom. And she writes down her experiences with God in prayer in something called Revelations of Divine Love. It's from the late 1300s, early 1400s. And one of the things Julian of Norwich says, it's kind of a paraphrase, first there's the fall, then there's the recovery from the fall, and both are the mercy of God. First there's the fall, then there's the recovery from the fall, and both are the mercy of God. Uh, one of the things I've learned from Pastor Mike over the years at Hope is we are not a perfect church, but we're pretty good at recovery. Like last Saturday when the power went out 15 minutes before a church was supposed to start, and one of our volunteers had a generator, and we were able to plug things in and only started two minutes later than we had planned, I think. First there's the fall, then there's the recovery from the fall, and both are the mercy of God. So I've got a couple of questions for you as we get ready to close. Uh, where is Jesus being a stumbling stone in your life these days? Where do you find yourself falling these days? Where do you find yourself in a situation where the way you used to do things is just not working anymore? 
You know, there's a, a couple of different ways the Bible talks about this idea of Jesus needing to be both a, a stumbling stone and a sanctuary. Think about when Jesus says, um, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Or when King David writes in Psalm 18, God rescues the humble and God humiliates the proud. That God is constantly at work. If we're in a, a place of one up, he's trying to bring us down and cause us to fall a little bit. So where, where is it in your life that you need to be more humble, grow in humility? Uh, I had someone say to me one time, and I've never forgotten it until just now. No, I've never forgotten it. Uh, they said their definition of humility is being teachable. To be humble means to be teachable. So I think we all have people in our life that, like, they are good listening ears for us, and they let us vent to them and complain to them about those annoying people over there, and I can't believe what they did. Do you have anyone in your life that you've given permission to teach you about the ways in which you are annoying and frustrating? How about uh, if we find ourselves in that one-down position, where are those places in your life that you find yourself just kind of naturally acting out from, of a, a victim mentality? Like the universe is out to get me and here we go again, it's no surprise. Or, or maybe even worse, are there, what, what is your self-talk these days? Is there some tape that gets played over and over in your head that just has convinced you you're not deserving of being treated well? You're a mess up. You've always been a mess up. You always will be a mess up. Jesus says, oh, how I've longed to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks beneath her wings. Jesus wants to embrace us with divine love. But remember at the end of that, he says, but you would not let me. And so maybe a question for some of you today is, what is preventing you from letting Jesus embrace you with his love? What's preventing you from trusting you're lovable. You have value. You have worth. First the fall. Then we recover from the fall. And both are the mercy of God. Uh, one final thought before the band comes up to lead us in our closing song. Jesus is both a sanctuary and a stumbling stone. And we're followers of Jesus. We're the body of Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're being transformed more and more into people who look and act and sound like Jesus all the time. So part of what that means, it seems to me, is we too are supposed to be both a sanctuary and a stumbling block. So a sanctuary is a place of safety and, and comfort. Is there a person in your life that this week you could be that for them? You could be a source of security, safety, comfort for them, even this week. And then when it comes to being a stumbling block, uh, don't rush into this one. Pray your way into this one. But, but is there a relationship, is there a, a setting in your life where the truth needs to be spoken in love. And God is actually asking you to do that. Like God is asking you to tell people to challenge some situation. Like this isn't really life. That there's a better way. There's a, a deeper truth. There's a more abundant life. 
who or where might God be calling you to speak the truth in love this week? Let's stand and let's pray together before we sing our closing song. Lord, thank you that you are a place of refuge for us. You are a shelter for us. You're a place of comfort for us. We thank you for that. We ask that you'd give us the faith to really trust that and believe that. And at the same time, we we confess that there are times where we don't let you be for us what you need to be for us. Usually, we're okay with you being a sanctuary. But I think a lot of times we're not okay with you being a stumbling stone, a, a rock that causes us to fall. So give us your humility. Give us your grace, which has the power to actually change us and help us grow, to experience your life and to share that life with the people around us. You've done that for so many people throughout the centuries. You did it for King David. You did it for Moses. You did it for Peter. And Lord, you've done it in our lives before, and we need you to do it again. And so that's what we ask for, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.